Hello and welcome to Cannabis Grand Rounds, a production by physicians with advanced degrees in cannabis medicine. Your hosts, Dr. Lee Van Oker, Dr. Les Matthews, and Dr. Hal Altman, will offer unbiased medical cannabis education for healthcare providers and the motivated public. Our content is selected with the objective to fully explore cannabis as science and medicine and pledges to reflect current cannabis knowledge with no hidden agenda nor sponsorships. Hi, welcome back to Cannabis Grand Rounds. I'm here with Dr. Bonnie Goldstein, a pediatric cannabis physician. And um, Dr. Goldstein, Bonnie, I'd like to ask you, we've talked about this in the past, you know, so many even patients tell me or caregivers uh, in my tiny practice compared to the thousands of patients that you see, um, you know, there was so much research out there by the National Institute for Drug Abuse about the dangers of THC and marijuana on the development of the pediatric brain. And I think that's a prejudice that still is kind of out there and people are a little hesitant, uh, parents and things when it comes to cannabis. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, this is a question that comes up pretty much every time I talk. Um, and every time I talk to parents, um, and it's all concerning THC. And as you mentioned, the research that's out there. So we cannot compare teenagers who have problematic overuse of THC with uh, children with medical conditions who are under a medically supervised cannabis program, which for the most part may have a small amount of THC or even a larger amount depending on their condition, like autism sometimes requires higher doses of THC, but also includes other cannabinoids that help mitigate some of the unwanted effects of THC. And again, in a medical setting, patients are not getting impaired or intoxicated. And remember, what is the goal of a teenager who's smoking a lot of pot or, you know, using the high concentrates? The goal is to get high, right? So there's a different goal and it matters. And the reason it matters is because we have two times uh, during the lifespan of a human where the brain is undergoing very significant changes and that's during the fetal period, right? So in utero. And then also during the teenage years where there's this incredible brain um, maturation that leads to the ability to have more abstract thought and executive functioning and impulse control and so on. And that is during the teenage years that all of those kind of, if you think about, you know, the brain is laying down neurons and what I call the train tracks and the pathways that lead to a healthy adult brain. So much of the research from NIDA looked at chronic heavy use in teenagers. And that is, again, let me be very clear, not the same as medical, uh, su medically supervised cannabis medicine in children or teenagers with medical conditions. So let's just make that clear. It's like comparing apples and oranges my patients are not intoxicated. My patients, actually, their brains are moving forward because we are treating the medical condition that is holding them back. And one of the things to remember is that the endocannabinoid system 
um, can have can be dysfunctional, and when it is dysfunctional, it can have um, health ramifications like autism, like um, and you know autoimmune disease, like um, epilepsy. And so, to leave someone with endocannabinoid dysfunction that you can um, um, that may benefit from cannabis treatment. To me is, you know, you're missing the treatment and to give a child like, you know, antidepressants or antipsychotics or, you know, 13 different seizure medicines that don't work, you're missing the root cause treatment, right? So, or at least part of the root cause treatment, you want to treat that endocannabinoid dysfunction or uh, deficiency. And right now, what we have to treat endocannabinoid system disease is cannabinoids from the cannabis plant, including THC. So to me, it's, it's apples and oranges. And, and, you know, interesting research does exist. It's not in teenagers or in children, but uh, Stacy Gruber out of McLean University has done some very nice um, research looking at medical cannabis uh, patients versus kind of the recreational use. And she found a big difference between um, the patients in that one medical cannabis patients appear to have improved neurocognitive function by three months into using cannabis not being, they're not impaired. They don't approach cannabis um, abuse criteria. They also include a multitude of phytocannabinoids in their treatment like CBD or CBG or CBN in addition to their THC use. So it's very important to understand that there are distinct groups. And this is not unlike people who abuse opioids and then those responsible patients that use opioids for medicine. I mean, we all understand that. So it has. To, we all have to understand that for for um, children and adolescents who may have endocannabinoid system dysfunction or deficiency, not treating them with cannabis is likely um, um, very unhelpful. You these patients, and I've witnessed it, and I know you have as well, and many of my colleagues have that these patients actually progress forward and achieve in school. I have patients that weren't even able to go to school that are now going to school and having school success because of cannabis. Yeah, that's, so, that's right. Great. So clearly, yeah. right. So clearly this kind of, well, THC harms your brain concept, which NIDA um, supported all that type of research that may be with chronic heavy use unmedically supervised, um, in teenagers who, you know, look, I just survived the teenage years with my son and, you know, there's not a huge amount of judgment in teenagers. And certainly if a teenager is struggling, let's say with anxiety or depression, they may go, you know, smoke pot with their friends. It starts out recreational and they say, you know, this, this makes me feel better. Right. But they don't understand the actual treatment Meaning you should not be overusing THC because then you just shut down your cannabinoid receptors and you lose the target. So, and I joke around. Downregulating them. Right. Exactly. I would never tell, like diagnose a 15 year old with pneumonia and say, here's the keys to the local pharmacy. Go pick out your medicine. Who does that? (laughs) Right. Right. It's very targeted, thoughtful treatment. So if a 15 year old was to come into my office, and say, yeah, my parents caught me smoking pot because it makes my anxiety um, go away, It feels, or my ADHD, then we have a discussion about medically supervised use of cannabis and how to make it work in the most effective way without any detriment whatsoever. 
very different than someone, you know, let's put it this way, self-medicating. Right. And, you know, it's, um, it is so true. And we're going to get into that um, a little bit later, like the specifics in conditions when we hear about some specific patients, you know, de-identified, but according to their diagnosis, autism, re- resistant seizure disorder and things. Um, but yeah, it is an issue. And I know that, you know, in Maryland, we don't have adult use. And uh, I saw a statistic somewhere that that people, you know, something like 54% of people going into adult use dispensaries are trying to self-medicate anyway. So uh, that's a whole nother discussion with, you know, we need more education um, on that because they're kind of going it alone. But certainly I can appreciate that with kids um, that start doing it. That's interesting. And when we get into some specific patients, yeah, you can tell us how they've uh, advanced and such, because there is this big bias. Even when you talk to doctors, I gave a grand rounds at a pediatric hospital, and even these doctors that were interested in it, and it was a long-term care hospital, not like acute care. So these were really sick kids with seizures, all kinds of things. Even the doctors today, with everything we're hearing, still have that bias. Well, what about the developing brain but i think that's a a big right i hear it all the time right and it's because it's been drilled into our heads that it's not good for us this is you know the the kind of the brainwashing and it's exactly kind of what you know nixon wanted (laughs) when he first uh created the controlled substance act you know to control to control these substances but you know cannabis was put in as a schedule one kind of as a placeholder and then the physicians at the time, the AMA and so on kind of came out and said, well, you know, we don't really think it belongs there. It's not really, you know, as dangerous as you think it is, but yet it was kept there. And here we are still fighting that today. And of course, what that has done is not stopped anybody from using it. As you and I both know, the cannabis is around. You can get it anywhere. Teenagers get it easily. Um, However, what it has done is it's prohibited uh, research, meaningful research. And that has not helped, uh, anything. It's been a bit of a disaster. That's so true. And as a matter of fact, one of Nixon's advisors, they did a whole study, the, um, uh, Schaefer commission, he assigned it to Schaefer thinking that Schaefer would say, yeah, it's dangerous. And he said, it's really not that dangerous. I forget the name of it. it was called a misunderstanding smoke signals, a misunderstanding or something. And um, he still came out against it. It's terrible. And the research is the biggest issue. Um, another topic I want to talk um, touch on briefly, because I, I've read some of the comments that you've said in the media too. And um, uh, before we get into specifics of cases and, and how you treat them and how they do is this idea of accidental overdose with kids. And I know that we have some pediatric ER colleagues in Cal- uh, Colorado when they, I believe they were the first to, to do adult use that did see like a uh, 30% increase in visits to the emergency department, 
um, with kids that had gotten into it. And especially, you know, if you have things that look good, like gummies and cookies and things and chocolate, you know, it, it's a worry. But um, people like rush them in the ICU, rush to intubate them. And I'd like you to just uh, comment on that because there really aren't fatal overdoses of, from cannabis, are there? That's correct. So there are no, there, there's no way for uh, phytocannabinoids to kill us unless you like overdo and drive your car into a tree. So, but in terms of a primary uh, respiratory depression or causing some type of organ shutdown, that does not happen with phytocannabinoids. There are no cannabinoid receptors in the part of the brain that control your, your respiration. So different than opioids where you have opioid receptors in that part of the brain that can be overloaded and then turn off the ability to breathe. So, however, a child who's intoxicated on a cookie or a brownie or, you know, gummy bear or whatever can um, be like almost comatose. Uh, They're in a very, they're very intoxicated. They're kind of passed out. And I know for a lot of uh, doctors, it's scary. Anytime a child comes into an emergency room who is in that type of situation. And I do think, so my experience is a pediatric uh, emergency medicine doctor. I worked for many years in a, in a pediatric ER, but I also worked in a um, hospital where the pediatric and uh, the adult doctors worked side by side. And I could see that a lot of the adult doctors did have, you know, this very heightened sense of panic anytime a child came in and I would have to kind of take over <laughs> right. and, and do a little comfort. Look, I'd rather they do that than under treat, right? But at the same time, right. um, <laughs> this is, you know, th- this is something that will wear off. The child needs to be monitored. I don't know, and I'm not going to second guess somebody's, you know, rush to intubate somebody. But in general, we know they're not going to stop breathing. Obviously, if there's a blood gas or something that shows that the child is not uh, breathing well, you should probably intubate, but, and I'll leave that up to someone's decision-making. However, in general with cannabis, you know, these kids can be out of it for quite some time, but, but usually is a majority of time will not lead as long as there's no other compounds ingested at the same time that they should be okay. However, I see this more as a, not a cannabis issue. This is a parenting issue. Okay, this is, you do not leave your cannabis anywhere where your child can get it. Absolutely. So if you have small children in your house, you should have a lockbox. You should have it locked up high up. That's it. You should not have cannabis available uh, anywhere where a child will get it. And this idea that it's completely benign is in general pretty true. But the last thing you want to do is end up in an emergency room with your child who got into your cannabis and potentially have your child you get one a big medical bill. Two, you may get over treatment, which is not always good and can lead to issues. And three, child protective exactly. services in your life. Yeah. So to me, that is you know any any medication. And look, if your child got into your blood pressure medicine, they'd be in a lot bigger trouble than if they get into your cannabis. So that that being said, your cannabis should not be in any place where your child can get it. And children are sneaky. (laughs) I have a case where, can I just share a case with you? Sure. Where a little boy, he was probably about seven years old. His mother liked the um, 
she's one of, was one of my early patients. She liked the little chocolate bars and she would break them up into pieces and just take a little piece in the evening after the kids are asleep. She would take it for her anxiety, for sleep, for, you know, chronic back pain. And she was extraordinarily responsible and she put the, the little candy bar into a Tupperware and put it in the very back of the um, refrigerator, top shelf in the very back. Now, somebody was watching her <laughs> because that little stinker climbed on a chair, got into that, got a piece. And then, you know, one day she says that she, he says he doesn't feel good and he's kind of sweaty and his eyes are red. And he says, I think I have to go to the hospital. I don't feel good, mom. Mm. And she kind of panicked. And the first thing she did, though, very smart lady, went into the refrigerator to see. And sure enough, the top of the Tupperware wasn't put back. He had, you know, he had attempted right. to put it back, but he was seven years old. So he didn't do a very good job of being sneaky. And she called me and I just said, just sit with him on the couch, turn on a cartoon, you know, try to encourage him to get, go to sleep. I promise you this is going to be more traumatic for you than it is for him. He's going to be fine. And so I called her a little bit later. She said he's fast asleep. I mean, she stayed up all night looking yeah, at him. Yeah, I'm know, sure. In the morning, I'm sure you would. At 8 a.m., she's like, he pops out of bed and says, is it time to go to um, his little t-ball or whatever it was? <laughs> she's like, he's fine. And she's like, I'm a wreck. Right. And I have, unfortunately, you know, had a few cases like this. And luckily, the parents did call me at first you know, before rushing to the ER, because I do think that as long as the child is not showing any signs of, uh, you know, severe intoxication, like, you know, you know, con you know, because sometimes you can vomit or whatnot, but he, he was fine. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And I look, I've had a, a patient who was under medical supervision. The parents bought a product, um, told me it was the same product as the previous product and it wasn't, it was much more concentrated and they accidentally overdosed their child. And, right. you know, I talked the parents off the ledge and constantly checked on them. And this boy slept 15 hours woke up at one o'clock in the, in the morning, Wide ready away. to go, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Mom, can I have my iPad or, you know, um, this is the little boy with a genetic syndrome who, you know, struggle with pretty severe behaviors. And, you know, I think the parents were really gun shy after that. So it's just really about, you know, making sure you're dosing correctly for those people who are using, you know, cannabis products medically supervised, make sure you understand the dosing. And if you don't ask the doctor, and two, do not leave your cannabis lying around. You have yeah. to lock it up. Kids will get into it. Yeah, I agree. And I do sort of believe in maximum doses uh, per um, serving so that it is easier. Even adults can overdose on it. And I've, I've seen that. And heck, I remember, you probably remember too, the infant drop Tylenol, right? They got rid of that product because it was so concentrated for infants and parents were overdosing their toddlers on it, not knowing the difference between the infant drop, thinking, oh, well, if it's good for an infant, my toddler, and they eventually had to get rid of that formulation. And that's much more dangerous than cannabis. So, yeah. I, I agree. Well, thank you for listening. This You've been listening to Dr. Bonnie Goldstein. This has been Cannabis Grand Rounds. 
All information, material, and content on this podcast is for general informational and educational purposes only and is not intended as a substitute for professional and or medical advice, diagnosis, and or treatment by a qualified physician or healthcare provider. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and any materials linked to this podcast is at the user's own risk. Cannabis Grand Rounds LLC does not offer personal health or medical advice. If you have a medical emergency, call your doctor or call 911 immediately.